Okay, so this is Mia Gucci, and I would like to start uh, this uh, podcast, uh, the lecture, audio lecture. As I said, this is actually my first time to do this, so uh, I hope technology and uh, all the setup uh, works fine. But today I would like to go over uh, the textbook, chapter one. Uh, the title is Why Aid is Contested at All. So this chapter actually goes over the reasons and uh, uh, angles uh, of uh, foreign aid, uh, other words, international development cooperation structure, uh, the players and the money uh, system, etc., uh, from uh, at the surface level, uh, introducing how uh, complicated and uh, uh, debatable so to say, this whole uh, industry called foreign aid or the practice field called international development field is all about. All right. So uh, let's go on. Uh, first, the textbook goes on to say uh, to uh, this textbook actually categorizes uh, certain views uh, through which we can actually uh, see this aid as uh, uh, with a critical lens. And the first uh, set of opinions that the uh, textbook author uh, draws upon is this view. That is to say that the aid is much contested because it is, well, big business. So that's the first set of well, um, criticism, because it's contested, right? Argued, right? So why it is such a big business? And the textbook is uh, explaining that international development is actually um, not just those uh, philanthropic, like donation, etc., uh, voluntary work, but it's actually a big business. The textbook says that the uh, total global official aid, official aid is the money uh, that flows from so-called uh, developed industrialized nations to so-called uh, developing uh, parts of the world. In this total global official aid, it flows from north to south, so-called, is well over $150 billion annually. And this is the time, this is of the figure of uh, when this uh, textbook is written. So this is much, um, uh, right now we have much bigger uh, figure. But one third of this $150 billion actually goes to Africa. As you know, Africa is a continent. It has more than 50 uh, countries. And when you think of it, it's like one third of the total uh, UN member states. So, which actually does make sense. But anyhow, so one view is that uh, it is a very big business. And therefore, if there is so much money and there are so many actors, types of actors that we covered, well, um, it surely is to be criticized because of the sheer size of the uh, activities, big business. 
That's the first set of criticism against so-called aid. How about second set, which is because of the complication. This whole international development uh, arena is much contested because it's, well, complicated. The policies of agencies, agencies in this case can be government uh, development agencies, or it can be a big foundation, for example, and also uh, international organizations such as the UN. So their policies or procedures or steps, etc., or rules, they tend to be uh, quite inaccessible, um, just beyond the layman, beyond the, well, quote-unquote, normal citizens. And it's quite uh, uh, exclusive, so to say, to outsiders, and apparently always changing, which I did experience. Every once in, let's say, two or three years, um, the minute or detailed uh, process or uh, things that uh, recipient governments, they need to fill in, uh, do change, which creates, of course, uh, further confusion, etc. For example, procedures for project approval um, can be extraordinarily long. And the language of the aid industry is often intractable, definitely. And it uses an incredibly large number of acronyms. Acronyms, for example, UNDP, WFP, UNHCR, all sorts of things, uh, just to name a few uh, from UN agencies' uh, institutional names. So that's a second set of uh, criticism against aid or its uh, practice field because it is just, well, too much complicated, too complicated. That's the second set, yeah? The third set, the reason why the international development is uh, oftentimes regarded as convoluted and uh, contested field is that, well, the nowadays, global security concerns we definitely have, especially since 9-11 in 2001. So global security concerns have brought renewed attention to global aid efforts. So um, I think some of you uh, do recall uh, when I said that the uh, in the UN world, there are two pillars. One is peace pillars or humanitarian affairs, and also the other pillar, which is development. And as I was saying that in the UN, with these two pillars, we can actually dissect or divide the entire international organization activities and categories into, well, half. But this third set of criticism against uh, aid industry or aid practice field is that, well, because of the heightened interest toward global security, especially since 2001, 9-11, the international development, which seemingly is all about this development pillar of the UN or intergovernmental uh, dealings, they too 
sort of the peace pillar and international international development pillar these two pillars now coincide and also overlap and mixes themselves so therefore this is a third set of criticism against aid industry and the practice field that this aid industry is so um, contested because well it is nowadays has much to do with global security and not just uh, those issues concerning quote-unquote poverty or um, hunger issue All right <clears throat> So that's the uh, three sets of criticism against, uh, or the reasons why the aid is much contested. Right? And the textbook actually goes on to say and uh, introduces two uh, big and quite renowned uh, professors, researchers. First is Jeffrey Sachs, who uh, still uh, is uh, a professor at the New York University and the Earth Institute um, in of, uh, sorry, not the New York University, Jeffrey Sachs is a professor at uh, Columbia University. And this Jeffrey Sachs, he is of the view that uh, the aid, so the aid money, so to say, uh, should increase a lot under the belief that the uh, Jeffrey Sachs himself uh, very much believes that the capability and technological capability and uh, we're human capability as human so to say as human being we already have enough um, uh, level for example level of uh, capability technological capability capacity to eradicate every single uh, issues concerning sustainable development goals all it has to do, all we have to see based on this uh, background where human beings are already capable, technologically capable of solving all these development related issues, all we need to see is further increased level of, well, aid money. So he, Jeffrey Sachs, is uh, hugely fond of UN and international uh, architecture or structure. Okay, so to repeat, Jeffrey Sachs he is a big fan of foreign aid. I am of course simplifying, but that's his view. And Jeffrey Sachs is, I think, uh, one of the most famous uh, professors who advocates. Uh, for more aid. All right. Next uh, is William Easterly. William Easterly is a professor uh, at, uh, this is a professor at NYU, New York University. And he does not like the idea of aid. He doesn't like the idea, uh, he doesn't like the uh, aid practices of ambitious planning. And he believes that development development practices need to be homegrown, kind of a bottom-up type of uh, uh, notion. So Jeffrey Sachs, to uh, emphasize the difference, 
Jeffrey Sachs, he is, as I said, he is uh, hugely uh, fond of the international architecture, meaning uh, supporting uh, supporting very much of the activities and the goals, etc., of international organizations such as the UN. But as you can imagine, United Nations is very much united, well, states, United Nations, right? So inherently, by design, UN and international architecture-driven agendas are top-down. But Bill Easterly, this William Easterly, he is, I would say, one of the uh, strongest critics against such international architecture. Because he believes that such planning-based and solution-based, that is uh, that is oftentimes only comes from above, quote-unquote. So, uh, so-called northern, northern countries and uh, their influenced organizations, they impose uh, their uh, solutions or the, the, the solutions that they believe must be the, um, must bring the positive impact. And they try to uh, implant those plans and the uh, quote-unquote great goals to the recipient side. <clears throat> so he is very critical of those. And therefore, he advocates uh, we need to see homegrown, so bottom-up, like a grassroots, so to say, uh, activities with the name of uh, development. All right. So these two people, uh, researchers, are... Uh, very important figures for you to uh, uh, for you to know, Jeffrey Sachs of Columbia University and William Easterly of New York University. All right. The next is uh, aid is much contested because there are different theoretical angles. Uh, theoretical angles meaning uh, the worldview or uh, international relations uh, theories, for example. In this case, textbook says that, for example, realist and the Marxist perspectives focus on the role that the aid plays in maintaining global power relations. What it means is that uh, this is to look at the international development practices and foreign aid world from one of the international rela relations theory, which is realism and Marxism. And of course, there are so many other ism out there, but it is to look at this foreign aid and international development practices from uh, those ideologies. Okay. A liberal tradition, for example, sees aid as a reflection of collaboration between states. Whereas, for example, new emerging donors such as China, Saudi Arabia, and for example, Kuwait, for example, uh, Brazil nowadays, and India nowadays, these, we call it non-traditional donor countries, they actually see 
this uh, foreign aid or international development from uh, very different angles. Because all these countries with their different history, culture, uh, value set, they are having completely different ideologies uh, percolating or uh, influencing their society and uh, each uh, person's uh, psyche. Therefore, there are many parties who perceive international development different, uh, differently, especially based on their ideology and theoretical angles. All right. So these different angles are there. So first is why aid is contested. That's because there's a big business. That's because it's bureaucratically too complicated. And that's because international development nowadays cannot just be treated as a standalone uh, arena. But it inherently must involve or engage, so to say, and relate to global security. So these three sets of reasons why the aid and the foreign aid is contested. And I went over to say that there are two professors who very much uh, uh, have the opposite uh, opinions against and for foreign aid. First is Jeffrey Sachs of Columbia University who is one of, the, one of the biggest advocates for foreign aid, and William Easterly from New York University, who does not believe such top-down or planning-based practices uh, should work at all. And instead, he advocates that the foreign aid and international development need to be homegrown and bottom-up. And I went over to say, because we have so many different ideologies, we have uh, ideologies such as uh, liberalism, realism, Marxism, all these, all of these ideologies and the value sets, because of those differences, we do have certain countries or certain people, of course, who perceive and analyzes international development from different theoretical angles. So um, I know I probably talk, uh, talked a lot already, but uh, so this chapter, uh, the author uh, concludes with uh, a summary. Uh, that states the reasons why these views against or for international development, why these views are so different. This uh, chapter goes on and describes, for example, more than four types of arguments, and uh, that you can actually go uh, read by yourself uh, for the details. But the first, the author, well, again, summarizes uh, one of the reasons. First reason can be that the uh, aid has been used for very different purposes. It is almost naive, uh, I have to say, for us to assume that international development cooperation or foreign aid is purely 
an action with uh, uh, volunteerism, action uh, with humanitarianism, etc. This is not how uh, it is practiced on the ground, and it is not how it is. It, ha it had been structured to begin with and designed to begin with. So it's a simple fact, but oftentimes we do forget uh, that aid has been used for very different purposes. That's the first point uh, of the reasons why these views supporting or criticizing international development, why these views are so different. Second, uh, there are no agreed-upon standards to measure, quote-unquote, whether aid works. This simple question, uh, does aid work, question mark, and this question is uh, a lot more difficult uh, for you and for us to know easily. This question is uh, almost a perpetual, never-ending pursuit for every single person who is engaged in international development. To give you an example, one is the time frame that the, uh, well, one can, let's say that the, the measured impact of income uh, that was generated, additional income that was generated from the international development uh, project. And that is measured, let's say. But that uh, measured impact, if that is only coming from so-called short term, so let's say immediately after the project ends, so within a month or so, this has been measured and identified. Well, that's great. That is going to be a success. So people will like to believe. But time frame, if the time frame differs, that is to say, if we are to be looking at this project after, let's say, four or five years, and what is the impact, or what is the remaining and sustaining difference that this project has seemingly brought. And it, I, I think you, you get the point, but short, medium, long term, this time frame alone brings so many different views and so many different opinions and analyses for us to be able to judge, quote unquote, the success of the project. So there are no agreed-upon standards to measure whether aid works. Is it purely quantity? For example, number of jobs created in a short term? Or is it something pertaining or related to the mindset of the people? Kind of an inner psychological change, which, as you can imagine, Psychological change leads to leaves to um, or leads to sorry leads to behavioral change. 
that is that is an engine uh, for us to have a different behaviors by ourselves. So it's kind of inner engine. So a lot of people, they do advocate that, well, what you can see and measure will not sustain. What you cannot see, behavioral changes, will sustain. And this is the agent of transformation, people say. Anyhow, so this is to illustrate the point that there are no agreed upon standards to measure whether aid works. Therefore, opinions against or for international development differ so much. The third point uh, the author brings is the ideological differences, as I uh, summarize as well, but between so-called right and so-called left. This differences, uh, these differences have exercised a great influence uh, framing the aid debate. It is not about, uh, not just about what is done or what is planned, but when you look at the things or values that we cannot see, it is about why we do that. Before even talking about how these aid activity or international development activities are to be done. So the value set, ideology, these are so important distinguisher, so to say, the points that distinguish the types of international development activities. And a final re as a final remark, the, the author, um, well, succinctly, so to say, um, writes as follows. But one thing for sure remains still, that aid is and will re remain an instrument of international politics. The challenge is how to ensure that this complements, so international politics, how this complements development and poverty reduction. If you've taken if you have taken my introduction to United Nations, I always kept uh, on saying that if there is only one sentence to summarize the whole textbook or this whole course of intro to United Nations, it is this that United Nations is first and foremost a political organization. Political organization. So it's, I think, the role for you guys and for all of us to uh, have first job is to demystify this kind of a um, almost like a myth like romanticized entity called the UN or all these agencies um, that support the eradication of poverty and humanitarian uh, humanitarian uh, disasters etc we need to demystify these uh, activities and organizations and the practice field itself and that is the purpose of this course again that the author emphasizes that 
the aid is and will remain an instrument of international politics. And statistically speaking, there aren't so many students who love politics. Well, among the students that uh, you have around you and I have uh, till now at my university, in this country, so to say. But the challenge is how to ensure that this international politics complements or helps or uh, support each other the development and poverty reduction. It is not about either or. If there is a politics, oh, sorry, if there is politics involved, oh, everything is corrupted. It's not that simple. There is no such a thing that 100% Mother Teresa act actions with the name of development and poverty reduction. Because of all these complications that this chapter uh, listed, and also I have laid out. All right. So this is the uh, summary of the chapter. And as I said, uh, as I s say uh, many times that what I have to say and what I have just shared is not 100% uh, summary of the chapter. Well, if that's the case, you should just read every single word of the textbook. So uh, please treat this audio lecture as a succinct summary uh, from me about the uh, assigned chapter. I will assume that you have read the chapter and therefore the assignments and uh, quizzes to follow uh, assume that. I hope you uh, uh, find this first uh, podcast uh, audible, like something that you can actually hear. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, so that is what I have to say about chapter one. Thank you very much.